Welcome back to our 25th episode of Our Trumpet Life, a podcast focused on teaching, learning, and sharing all things trumpet in a positive atmosphere. I'm Ben McCarthy, one of the co-hosts of Our Trumpet Life. I'm a trumpet player in the Virginia area, teaching and performing, and I focus mostly in classical music. My name's Derek Watson. I'm a freelancer in the Denver, Northern Colorado area, mostly a lead player, but also do some classical playing as well. And I'm Chris Navarrete, and I'm currently the director of bands over at the California State University of Chico. I love to play jazz and classical music. And I'm David Moore. I'm also a freelancer in the Northern Colorado area. And I got some exciting news. I have accepted a full-time position at Millican University as their trumpet instructor. Uh, And as the summer goes by, I will have more information as to what courses and what ensembles I'm directing. But just really exciting news. I'm I'm happy to say that I have finally made it. Got a university gig, so... Well, today's episode is going to focus on sound production. We're going to get into topics such as breathing and listening and many other things that will help us produce better sound. Let's get right to it. I know that in the past on this podcast, we've talked about the idea of sound and the idea that sound is the most important aspect of our playing. And I know, Ben, that that is an idea that was instilled in you pretty early on and i believe it's still something that you hold as a priority is sound concept do you by chance remember when that concept came to you because for me i didn't hear or think about sound or have a teacher tell me anything about sound until i got into college and that was one of the major struggles for me early on was how can i get one a more consistent sound a more resonant sound a better sound blah 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 so do you remember when that concept came to you so this is actually pretty interesting because one of my first teachers was actually a trombone player and i can remember very clearly the question being asked how would you describe the sound of a trumpet to someone who has never heard a trumpet before and i struggled with that in the lesson i couldn't come up with a a really a definitive answer to it that's a tough question Yeah, it is. And the biggest point that I took out of that lesson was that I needed to go and listen and I needed to go and listen to a lot of different sounds so I can I can define in my own sense what a trumpet sound is. And then from from there, because that was pretty early on, I think I was 11 years old. From there, it just was always sound that that question just stuck in my head and it was always about sound. I always wanted to have a very clear idea of what I wanted to sound like, but also I wanted to kind of find my own sound in that. And so that took, you know, listening to as many trumpet players as I could get my hands on. And we've talked a little bit about this last week with our heroes, but some of my first inspirations or influences were Louis Armstrong, Wynton Marsalis, Maurice Andre, although I think he was a little, he came a little bit later. He was more for the piccolo trumpet. But these were like some of my, my biggest influences. And when I think about sound, all three of them have a very huge impact on how I developed it. As far as the importance 
of sound production and where I hold that in my, I guess you, if you want to say philosophy, I think that it is one of the more important aspects of the trumpet that I focus on. And that comes mainly through listening. And we can talk about other ways as far as practicing actual improving sounds such as, you know, we could talk about breathing and how that plays a role. We can talk about ways of finding a center of pitch and how that improves sound. But for me, it all really does come back to the idea of having an idea of what that sound is in your head first. So I think that's really interesting. And I kind of want to be the jerk that does this. And maybe we go around trying to think of some answers of how how would you describe the sound of a trumpet to someone who had never heard one before? Why are you asking that question? <laughs> because when Ben asked it, I couldn't think of an answer. <laughs> okay. It, it's tough. That's a tough one. No, I'm thinking qualities of the sound. Okay. Someone who's never heard it, you have to explain what that is. So I'm trying to think of, of, a, of an animal that would actually sound like this. I was thinking a duck or a goose or something like that. <laughs> So, Chris, I actually like where you're going, comparing it to an animal, but I think there's a different animal that I would go with. An elephant. Elephant. Because they call it elephant trumpeting. Okay. <laughs> All right. I go. actually did not know the answer to that question. <laughs> okay. Let's restart. An elephant. It's exactly what I was thinking. An an if I had to compare the trumpet sound... To an animal, it would be an elephant. Now, but let's just imagine what an elephant sounds like. Strong, resonant, high-pitched on some levels, and focused sound. These are all qualities of what a trumpet could sound like, but if you had to imagine what it sounded like describing a trumpet, it's, high, it's higher pitch, it's brilliant, it's commanding if you will i haven't heard an elephant scream softly but i'm sure they can and i'd imagine that that's what a trumpet would sound like playing softly but i hope that's what it's called when they do that noise that it's called screaming <laughs> uh, that's all i got that was my attempt there we go no that's good i see i wasn't even thinking of I guess, and that's part of the question, describing it to someone who's never heard it before, you have to try to relate it to something they might have heard. And I don't know if I can do that, because what I was thinking was just brilliant, resonance, fanfaristic. I don't know if that's a word. But I'm sure this is because we're so familiar with it. It's such a personal thing at this point, being so familiar with the sound. It doesn't sound like anything else to me. You know, I don't ever hear a trumpet and think... Oh, that's this. It sounds like this other thing. It's just this is a trumpet. I'm trying to even think of other sounds I've heard that where I could say that sounds like a trumpet, because there aren't any unless we start comparing other like brass instruments. And it's not. I don't think it'd be fair to say. Well, it sounds like a trombone, but a little brighter, <laughs> higher. But yeah, I, I like exactly how you described it. Just brilliant, strong, resonant. Well, I was just going to say, before I get really abstract and weird about it, I was going to say, you know, you can take into context what the trumpet was primarily used for throughout history, and you could say that, you know, it's this, you know, higher-pitched, brassy sound 
that carries projects in it because it, it had to because I mean historically the trumpet was used primarily in military types of situations you know that's how you told the army to go left or right was from the trumpet call but uh, but but I think that that's a very narrow at least with our modern understanding of the instrument I think it's a very narrow view of, of what the instrument can sound like you know just to elaborate on that because you gave me an idea moving away from the elephant thing I've been told that the trumpet definitely has one of the more expressive qualities of an instrument meaning it's your voice in a way you can hear every every mistake every inflection every on purpose note that is being played and you can do that with a lot of other instruments but trumpet in particular for some reason i feel that it has a certain connection to the voice that way there's a lot of similarities that both can do now. I'm not. I'm not saying other instruments can't do that. I'm just saying, if I were to compare it, it would be to the voice a little. I, I would gravitate it towards that, and I would keep the same characteristics that I used the, when describing the elephant. Would be strong, brilliant, expressive. Those those words come to mind when describing what a trumpet could sound like to somebody who's never heard it before. Yeah, I like bringing the voice into the description as well. I think that the trumpet's range fits somewhat well into the vocal range, and that helps translate that concept. It's interesting to me talking about all of this because words, we and we have mentioned this in previous a previous podcast, but words mean one thing for somebody and something else entirely for another person. So when we're ascribing a word to the sound of the trumpet, such as powerful, you know, you might have a very specific concept in mind. And then when someone else hears it, they might have something completely different that they take away. So it's always difficult. And I think that's why describing the trumpet sound to someone who doesn't have any idea of what a trumpet sounds like is so difficult. But going back to... I guess the predicament then, which is, for instance, I'm learning from a trombone teacher in this situation who doesn't play trumpet. Yeah, there are similarities from the trombone to the trumpet, but let's take it a step back even from that. Let's say that you are trying to learn the trumpet and you haven't even had any instruction, which is rare. But let's just say that you're trying to play the trumpet without any concept at all of what the trumpet should sound like. You're going to develop your own sense of what that is through playing. And you may come out in the right, but often you probably wouldn't. And so I think that's that's the important lesson here is that if you don't seek out other examples... You know, we see this in any profession. If you don't seek out examples of of what you want to sound like or examples of whatever profession that you are in, it's hard to develop your own concepts and land in the green. That's why it is so important to listen and have sound, like the sound concept in your head to develop that fundamental. Now, getting into ways to develop that fundamental beyond listening, 
I think we can talk a whole lot about, you know, breathing. We can talk about intonation we mentioned before. There's a lot of ways that we can improve sound quality that are more technical and not conceptual. So I think maybe that's where we move this this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Is this something that you guys work on daily? I mean, I mean sound specifically, not necessarily. I mean, of course, we're probably always trying to play with a good sound. But are you guys working on cultivating a better sound daily? Yeah, so I would say that I don't always put all my focus there. A lot of times my sound production starts and ends with either long tones or flow studies. And I think that I try to keep an awareness of sound production throughout my practice session, but I don't always put as much focus on it from one day to the next. No, so I I actually try to focus on sound regardless of what particular fundamental I am focusing on at that moment, whether it's articulation, lip flexibility, whatever. I always try to keep sound as if it's not the primary, right? If you're, if I'm doing my flow studies and long tones, right? That's the primary goal. But even when I'm doing articulation and, and lip flexibility, that is the, that is number two. That is, even if I'm focusing on getting the right shape for my articulation, sound is the very next thing that I'm, I'm thinking about. And it's actually, at least for me, I feel like it's made a huge difference. I've, I've been, I've been using that philosophy, I think, for the better part of two years now, and I think it's made a dramatic change in my sound and just consistency. Because if you're doing something wrong with another fundamental, it's probably going to affect your sound. I would say for myself, every time I pick up that horn, I'm thinking sound first. I'm also thinking posture and all those things, you know, breath that helps with sound. But if the sound doesn't happen, I'm going to get tired. That's usually what I think of. I'm going to get really tired because if you're playing with a bad sound, you're probably pinching your chops. You're tightening up. You have tension somewhere else or you're you're not set in a good posture, whatever the case may be. That's why sound comes first every time. And whether that takes place in a classical piece or a jazz piece, because you have if you can line your ears up with with the horn you won't get as tired and you'll play more efficiently, most likely, you know, it's that same concept of, you know, when learning, uh, the trumpet, I know some folks think this way is think musically first and then it'll just happen. And yeah, that works for some folks. Um, and for me, it's the sound it's always, and that can be attached to that musicality mindset, but it also could be taught thought of as just a fundamental, approach to everything i'm in a similar boat like i said at the beginning of this i didn't even hear the concept of sound quality until i got to college and that in my first trumpet lesson was in college so i i didn't have someone telling me anything and so when i was playing i wasn't all i was doing was blowing air through the tube I wasn't thinking sound. Of course, I listened to trumpet players. I listened to Winton. I listened to Sergei. Those were probably the two earliest examples of people I was listening to, Clifford Brown. But the sound never, it never occurred to me. I, I could, I would have been able to say, they, oh, they have different sounds, but I wouldn't have thought of, well, what is different about them? I just heard, well, these are all 
it's all a trumpet sound. And so I was just, plus you always do hear like, oh, this person's sound. So you start attaching the idea of sound to an individual. And so I just thought, oh, this is my sound. I never even paid, never paid attention to it. And then in my first lesson, I found out that I didn't have the greatest sound. I didn't have a very resonant sound. I had a really bright sound. And that was good in certain situations. Uh, and again, I'm a lead player, and that came somewhat naturally to me. Playing in the upper register came somewhat natural. If I was playing something in the upper register, then my sound was fine. But if I got, you know, into a C in the staff and below, uh-oh, there's a problem here. So even in college, it became something I was aware of, but I didn't spend a ton of time working on it. I did do long tones and blah, 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 but I was still focusing on other things, other fundamentals. I wasn't thinking of sound as a fundamental yet. And as embarrassing as this is, because this happened so late, it wasn't until, I don't know, the second or third year of my doctorate that I really, really started to pay attention to it consistently, as in every time I pick up the horn. And that was in my first lesson with Bill Fund, because he will not let you continue playing. You will get the hand. You get waved off if you're not playing with the best sound that you can make. You know, what? it doesn't matter what the reason is. For me, it's often uh, poor breath. Just all the things that go into production, if I'm not being coordinated in my attempt to play the instrument, then I'm not going to create the sound that I'm capable of creating, and I would get waved off. And so now at this point, I still have that built in. I have a built in built fund sitting next to me, and every time I go to play something and I don't play, and I don't take the time to really make the best sound I can make, I get waved off. And, you know, sometimes you don't actually have to get to stop playing, but you have to immediately recover. So it is definitely something I, I'm always considering. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm always trying to make that sound better. I'm not always working on improving my sound, but I am always trying to make the best sound I can possibly make. So, Have you ever been waved off before you even began a sound? Yep. So many times. So many times. It's interesting because I've had teachers like that as well. And it's like as soon as as soon as you breathe in, they know that the sound is not going to be its best. And it's because of how you took the breath. So I think maybe we should talk a little bit about that. Talk about breathing and its importance to sound. So the breath is a huge component of everything. But I think the biggest thing is how important time is. When thinking sound, someone explained this to me in the harmonic experience book by Matthew talks about how sound is just rhythm sped up really, really, really fast. All right. So you got the ratios like three over two and it's like a certain interval. And if you speed that up a certain amount of times, it equals a certain interval. All right. Uh, now. How does this relate to the breath and what we were just talking about? It We need to have subdivision set in our mind prior to when we play. And this includes the breath going into the first note and therefore afterwards. Because if we don't have that coordination set up already, we're going to be second guessing ourselves, which ultimately affects the sound. 
Absolutely. I think the coordination, even before we get into the the specifics of the, the physical breath, the inhalation and then the exhalation, is that coordination. Uh, and it's also, a part of it is also just focus. You know, being aware that every time you're going to play, you need to make the best sound that you possibly can. Not because you have absolutely have to. It's not a requirement. We all know that because we've all made sounds we're not proud of. But because you have the capability to do that. We have the capability to be focused every time, to nail the coordination as close as we can every time. But we don't because we often get lazy or distracted and that's maybe the biggest factor in not playing with a good sound is just being distracted and not focused and then losing that coordination. You can tell when when you're listening to anyone, you can kind of tell, you know, if there's a hard passage coming up or you have to play real high or something, you can tell by their breath if they're going to make it or not. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Kind of, I think we've all heard this from multiple people. Take the breath you need for the, for the music that you're about to perform, right? Or something along those lines. Yeah, I think now we can probably get directly into the breathing, which obviously, I mean, it's one of the major parts of the coordination. It's the main part of the coordination. Yeah, so do any of you guys practice breathing techniques, like aside from the trumpet? I did a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. The one I love using is the 10 minute, 51 second thing on YouTube. It's the breathing gym tutorial that they have. It kind of takes you through the motions. And if I wanted to work on breathing specifically, that's one thing I've done. There's a couple other things I've done too with straws and with isometrics. Yeah, I've done a lot of work with, I don't know if it was from a specific system. I do, I have done some breathing gym stuff. I have also done just a bunch of, you know, four in, four out, five in, five out, blah, blah, blah. The walking thing where you, you know, you do it while walking, which is another trip on its own. I spent a lot of time working on the wedge breath and types of breaths specifically intended to create a lot of compression, which just lead playing in general. I think there's a lot of, there's a large emphasis on breathing techniques. Um, so I've done a lot of that, but recently I've been working on just overall relaxed breathing. Uh, breathing as if I just was going to play something in the staff with a big resonant sound. And I honestly, I don't even practice this while I'm doing practice sessions. I'm practicing, I try to practice this all the time because, and it's just to remove tension in my body just throughout the day because I've realized <laughs> through trumpet, I've realized, oh, I just have a lot of tension all the time. Uh, and so I, that's when I work on it. I like that you said that. Derek, because I do the same thing. And I, I think I began doing this in my master's program, especially when you're sitting in an orchestra for a long time before you come in. And, you know, the, the entrance can be anywhere. And sometimes, you know, you'll be above the staff. And so I can remember feeling the tension starting to build in my shoulders and my back as those measures would approach. And this technique of, you know, breathing, breathing in, and then as you exhale, relaxing, the shoulders, relaxing, any kind of built up tension and doing that over and over again in those situations until it became a habit, because that 
in and of itself would not only mess me up with my sound, but just the energy that it takes to play the rest of the piece with that much tension is it's just very detrimental to it in a lot of ways. So relaxed breathing, but also using breathing to relax, I have found have, has been very helpful in terms of sound production. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I focus on is keeping the tension out of my neck. Uh, and again, I do this throughout the day because I notice that I will start to just while I'm sitting down, even if I'm not doing anything, I will start building tension up in my neck and I'll go into my jaw and all of those things are things I'm trying to get rid of if I want to play with the big, the most resonant, relaxed sound that I can. I need to get rid of the tension in there. And, um, and so that's often what I'm focusing on when I'm breathing. Yeah, I haven't really studied anything specific. I've just picked some different stuff up from different trumpet players or trumpet teachers I've, I've studied with, as well as, as meditation and stuff I did through martial arts and sports. Nothing. I don't really think it's from one specific school. Could be, but I'm, but I really doubt it. But this last week was the UNC Greeley Jazz Fest, and it was virtual, so there was a lot of time spent just sitting in a chair. And I hate that because my back starts to get really tight, and you know my my neck, my throat, and just doing meditation kind of helps with that. And uh, I try to get this sensation where every time I hex, uh, uh, exhale, it's like I'm sinking through the chair and helps get my back and my shoulders relaxed. And so that, that helps. And then I've, I've done some stuff. It's kind of hard to describe through a, in this situation, but different techniques to create resistance on the diaphragm when I inhale and then doing stuff where, okay, I have to breathe a full breath of air in two beats and exhale for two measures, you know, stuff like that. Just different exercises to challenge what I can intake and then exhale while staying relaxed. I should say that while staying relaxed. This kind of brings up something. I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and this is maybe the next step in after breathing. And that is, would you consider yourself to have a good resonant singing voice? A relaxed, resonant singing voice? Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's mastered by any means, but it's definitely something I've thought about and I've tried to replicate. And I do think that the process that singers you know, go through to inhale, exhale, have a resonant voice or uh, sound, it's, it's very similar to what we do. And so I've actually, I've actually said that to younger students and, and tried to get them to sing. And I think it really comes just what the type of breath you're taking in. Because I think if you take a nice, good breath, there's a noticeable different sound in your voice just from talking versus if it's just like a real shallow, quick breath. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely feel self-conscious about my voice. I always have. And it's it's a big hurdle that I would say I'm still trying to overcome. But I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with, especially when teaching just trying to to be able to express a line through voice rather than on trumpet. And I think it's a good teaching technique that I've had many teachers use for me. And the energy and the inflection and all of that that you have to put into getting something out on voice, being able to translate that to trumpet, I think, is a good technique to learn. 
So it's definitely something that I use. It's not something that I feel very comfortable with, nor do I feel that I have a, I think what you said was a very resonant voice. It's something that I wouldn't say that I've worked on to become more resonant. I mean, I have, but it's something, it's not where I want it to be. It's not where I want it to be. Sure. And I'm only asking because I, I agree with David. I think that the process of having a relaxed resonant singing voice is probably very similar to what you would need to do to have that on the trumpet, or at least they, they would be mutually beneficial to each other. And I've thought, because I'm also, I, I don't sing. I don't have a good singing voice. It actually hurts my neck to sing. And I know what that means. I know I'm doing it incorrectly and I can't seem to get out of that. It's just a natural thing. Even speaking hurts my voice. Just after every podcast, my voice is worn out. So I know there's a lot of things related in there. And that's also probably why I've struggled with a lot of neck tension and sound issues on the horn. And I've thought about reaching out to singer friends, friends of mine that are singers, to kind of learn what they do to work on their sound. Because I think that it would be beneficial to me as well as a trumpet player. I was just wondering if you guys had any experience with that. You know, my my trumpet teacher, Miss Miss Saxton, who we had on a couple weeks ago, has the motto, sing, buzz, play. And I agree that that method helps. It It helped me. And it helped me become more comfortable, as I said. Not completely comfortable, but more comfortable singing. But it does translate. The expression does translate from one to another. And I think it's a it's a great tool to have. Great. So maybe we go into... I mean, we've kind of talked about the coordination. Actually, I know uh, some in the coordination process that I'd like to talk about. That's the... What do you do at the end of the inhalation? Are you, do you guys tend to think you need to make the immediate turnaround into the exhalation to reduce tension? Do you guys hold it at all? How is that segment of the coordination process work for you guys? Well, so something I talk to my students about, I use the analogy of a pitcher and I use the analogy of the windup. And, and I say, you know, you know, physically what's going on, there's actually a couple different actions that happen to, you know, start from the inhalation to the end of the exhalation, right? But I, I try to get my students to think about it as actually just one motion. Just like, you know, when you watch a, a pitcher, it's very fluid when really it's several different things happening in succession. And I think that if you hold up any of that in the in the inhalation to the exhalation, it, it causes perhaps an unwanted bit of tension that I think definitely affect the initial sound. I mean, you can you can experiment that too just with talking, you know, if you take a breath and then hold it and then you're holding it back while you're talking, it it noticeably changes your 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 voice. Well, it's going to do the same thing on on the horn. So so yes, I I say try to make that separation or that that delay from the inhalation to the exhalation as brief as possible. Think of it as one motion. In, down, around, out. One that I've used before is uh, a ball one, similar, where you toss the ball up in the air, and right when it gets to the top point, it does the turnaround. However, there's more to it than that. My breath, I try not to think vertically so much, but it's more of as a visual 
that I'm trying to get across here. When the ball ascends, it's getting slower and slower until that turning point, and then it's slow, and then it starts speeding up, and then speeds up again. I like to think the breath of the same way. This is important to note because when we breathe, it's not a, you know, it's not a quick in and it's not a quick out with the same amount. That Those types of breaths are for different reasons, but for a natural breath, we want it to flow, just like what David was saying, and having direction. So you can think of it as a, a, there's motion to it, even though there is an acceleration and a deceleration aspect to it. Ooh, I got a question. When doing breathing exercises and you're teaching students how to breathe properly, all the above, have you guys ever used holding your breath as a way to practice breathing? Yes. That is something that I have done a lot in the past, actually. Now, disclaimer, do this in a safe space. Never, ever do breathing exercises. Don't do it in the car. Generally, sit down because you can pass out. You can get lightheaded. Just be very, very careful. So I've done a lot of work with a couple things. Holding my breath after a full inhalation. And I've done a lot of work on holding my breath after a full exhalation. In general, the uh, the idea of holding your breath after a full exhalation is most beneficial in showing someone what a full breath will feel like, can feel like. Because after you let out all of your air, and not just you not just blowing out the air like normal, but then hissing out all that you possibly can and then holding it, when you do take that next breath, it's a it's a big breath. It's a big full breath. Because your body is saying, uh-oh, guys, we need some air. Like, we need air now. And I think that can be a very useful tool in showing someone what that feels like. That's not necessarily... It's just not how I normally breathe. And I would never instruct someone to take that big of a breath. Because I think that there's other issues that can arise from that. But I think it's a very useful tool. I also think it's it's very helpful in getting your body accustomed to what it feels like when you're running low on air because you will have to play where you're running low on air and it's a very uncomfortable feeling and if you can be somewhat accustomed to that feeling it can aid you in not falling apart when that happens now as far as holding my breath when i'm fully inhaled again i also use that as a way to show someone what it feels like to do a relaxed exhalation because a lot of times when we focus on all this breathing for a trumpet playing some of us can tend to forget that exhalation is a automated response you don't have to think about it and, and that's the same with inhalation too this is a, it's an automatic thing our bodies do it automatically if it if they didn't we'd be in a world of trouble so taking a full breath and then holding it in and then just sighing and letting the air escape without you having to forcefully exhale can be a useful demonstration to someone that they don't have to push the air out. They don't, you don't have to push the air out of your lungs into the horn. You just have to let it go. The air will come out. I mean, it's just a physics thing, right? It's just, um, leveling out the, um, 
whatever the air pressure, right? So I think though both of those things holding in your air after a full inhalation and holding your air holding your breath after a full exhalation are both useful tools. And again, please be safe while doing that. So what other techniques do you guys use to work on sound production? Long tones with the drone is one of my favorites. Another one that that I like pairing that up with is playing at the wall or into a corner of a room and dissecting every aspect of that sound. So I know exactly I'm getting immediate feedback of what I'm hearing as opposed to what is coming out the other end of the bell. Do you want to get into a little bit of why playing with a drone is helpful for sound production? Sure. So when dealing with sound production, you have to train the ear. And we have to train the ear, not just in an intonation level, but also we have to hear, train our ear to hear different overtones. And that, at least with a good sound, a quality of a good sound is one that has a lot of overtones. And I, I personally like listening to organ drones. They, they usually have multiple pitches that are being played that encompass the fundamental. And when I play with the drone, I'm listening, I'm trying to make my sound fit within that drone that I'm hearing. And then if you match it up well enough, you'll be able to align all the planets. <laughs> That's how I like to think about it. And, and it feels like you're motionless. It feels weightless when you get it right. That's kind of where you want it to, to feel like, where it feels almost effortless. Well, it actually does feel effortless at some points. Sometimes I've done it and I am wondering, am I even playing this thing? So that's what drones can do for you. That really does help to produce, or it helps your sound production. And I, you know, I think that using a drone is a very good way to find resonance in center of pitch. I've used other techniques as well, such as lip bends. I think those can be helpful for, especially for finding a center of pitch and then the resonance in that as well. But I'd love to hear other ideas that people use for this exact concept of finding resonance. And like you said, Chris, it helps it, it feels easier. It feels effortless. I, I like to do a little bit of lead pipe buzzing or lead pipe playing. And I feel like that really helps me kind of focus my sound in. I play scales on the lead pipe at a very soft dynamic and that I've found that to be very beneficial. And then I don't know. I don't really know why, what it was, but just lip bends didn't really work well for me. I think I was just, I don't know, maybe I was also playing a lot of ensembles, but I felt very muscle bound. But I found that, well, if you're familiar with the Chickwitz flow studies, then you're, the first exercise is slurs group A, right? And it's that thing, if you have the older red book, it's that, that thing that Chickwitz wrote out by hand. And it's, a lot of people use it as a warm up. It's a great long tone exercise, but you can get a similar thing out of that that you would get, uh, you know, if you were doing uh, lip bends. So that first note that you start on in the pattern is sort of like your bass line. And when you go down a half step or you come come back to that note from a whole step above, if you can tell if you've overshot. You can tell if, if you've missed the resonance. And so, you know, I've, I've 
use that exercise. It's one of the first things I do every day to find resonance and make sure I'm not doing something weird with my aperture or my embouchure, um, you know, not moving too much. And so that has helped for me. Yeah, I've done, I've spent a lot of time doing lip bends. And again, when I, it wasn't until I got to my doctorate that my teacher at the time, John Adler, was talking about center of the pitch. It was, that was not a concept I was familiar with. And I spent a lot of time doing lip bends to find where the centers of the notes were because if you bend down or up whichever way and then you make your way back you will hear when you get into the center you'll find you'll be able to hear that resonance spot because if you lip bend too low or you lip bend too high your sound's going to get kind of gross and as you go back you'll find that ideal spot and and then it becomes a matter of practicing just coming in on in that spot and that's actually what i use drones for the most is making sure i'm landing directly on the center of pitch and so what i like to do is i'll do um i don't know drones and fifths or something just some interval that i like uh it, it might just be full or major arpeggio but it's usually fifths and i will Start on a note that is, I don't know, dis maybe a little dissonant. So maybe I'll start on the sixth of a scale and I will play six, seven, one, or I'll go into the fifth either way. And I try to make sure that when I get there, I'm right on the center, in tune, resonant. And, you know, that works on your ears and also just getting to the center of the pitch immediately. In general, I don't do any of that stuff now, but. I do, in the beginning part of my warm-up, I do this thing I call whisper tones, and I'm playing as soft as I can, and I'm trying to have, my main goal is having a really relaxed resonant sound, and I start on a G in the staff, and I'll go, I go down to the low F sharp, and I try to go, and then I go up, I do some stuff in between, some patterns, some interval work, generally without taking the horn off my face, and I go as high as I can, and I try to connect everything. But I'm doing it with the lens of trying to keep the sound the same and the resonance the same. And I know that I'm not always going to be able to do that. And so what I'm really paying attention for is where does it stop? Where do those things stop happening? Where does the resonance stop? Where does my sound change? Where am I tightening my face or my aperture more specifically? Where is tension coming in? And I, I try to find and locate those spots to to then work on those and keep my sound resonant. Well, I feel like there's so many other areas we could we could go to for sound production, and maybe we really should just do another episode on this. Uh, you know, we could talk about sound production on different horns. We can talk about uh, imitation in terms of, you know, you guys use imitation for jazz improvisation, trying to sound exactly like a certain person even. There's just so many different ways that we produce sound. So I think that we should do another episode on this in the future. But I do believe that's all the time we have for today. If our listeners have any questions or comments, you can always reach out to us on all the social media platforms. Uh, just search Our Trumpet Life and you can write us an email OurTrumpetLife at gmail.com. And of course, check out our website at www.OurTrumpetLife.com. Our Trumpet Life.